Welcome to another edition of Cyber Coast to Coast. This is Craig Schober coming at you from Long Beach, California on the West Coast. And I'm joined by my brother once again, Scott Schober. Hey, Scott, how you doing? Hey, how's it going there, Craig? Hi, everybody. It's good here. Um, we're going to uh, jump right into this uh, week's episode. We got uh, three good stories. Uh, but first, before we get into anything, I uh, want to remind everyone listening that uh, this episode is sponsored by Dark Kryptonite. Uh, Dark Kryptonite stops ransomware, malware, and phishing in their tracks, eliminating cybercrime, fraud, and information warfare uh, using advanced blockchain algorithms and zero trust models. If you don't know what any of that stuff means, go to www.darkkryptonite.com and learn all about it. Uh, kryptonite is a C, not the not the K, not the Superman K Kryptonite. It's Dark Kryptonite with a C. So go to darkkryptonite.com and learn all about it. And we're we'll have some uh, hopefully have some more announcements about dark kryptonite some exciting things coming uh can't talk about it now but uh in future episodes we're going to have more information so stay tuned for all that stuff okay on to the stories this week uh we got three three good ones um well i'll, I'll take them one by one Let, let's just uh, first we got the uh, uh you've heard about some TikTok controversies lately involving um uh, user data. Uh, so we're going to talk about that a little bit. Um, we're going to delve into the Google Play Store with some Android malware, uh, 3 million downloads, not not a good not a good look. Um, so we'll get we'll get you those details. <clears throat> and uh, we're also going to look at more of a, I guess, kind of a local story uh, involving a, a senior that was uh, taken for a lot of money. Um, and uh well scott's gonna i believe you uh had you have a lot more information to share on that one because you actually did an appearance uh on uh, with uh was it ashley banfield um, yes yeah news nation yeah yeah news on news nation. i'll talk more about that at the end there yeah uh so we'll, we'll look forward to hearing all about that stuff and of course um that's going to also tie in nicely to our cyber tip, tip of the week, which is about keeping your private data secure and safe. Uh, so it all, you know, Absolutely. it all ties in. You know, there's a lot of overlap here. It's all about keeping your data safe. So let's get right into the the first story. Um, this one, uh, this the story's a little older. Um, it's still, but it's still very relevant. It's still, it's still in the news. Uh, but we missed the past. Uh, I don't know if we missed the past. Uh, two weeks of this show we we have we have a lot of stuff going on at berkeley a lot of stuff going on in our our personal lives and so apologies to the listeners who count on this kind of news rundown weekly uh we missed them so we were going to do this story uh last episode and we missed last episode so let's let's take up with it right now um it comes uh i found this on buzzfeed news uh, which I think kind of kicked off the controversy because this this story kind of had a domino effect. Um, mm -hmm. But anyway, uh, we'll we'll get into that. Uh, the the headline reads: uh, Leaked audio from 80 internal TikTok uh, meetings show that U.S. user data has been repeatedly accessed from China. Um, so you might recall 
going way back, all back to the Trump administration when TikTok first got on the radar of government. You know, it was even before that, people were saying, hey, this is a Chinese company. I don't trust China, you know, all the usual. Uh, but no one was doing anything about it. Finally, there was a, a Trump rally that, you know, <laughs> was kind of embarrassed or um, uh, took some heat for uh, not uh, filling up the area, not filling up the arena. And um, of course, TikTok activists took credit for that, which kind of embarrassed Trump, I guess. So then next thing we know, he's targeting TikTok saying it's a danger, you know, to, you know, Chinese run company, they have all our, all our user data. And there's some, there's some merit to that, that argument, although the, uh, you know, the reasons for it are a little bit, we're a little bit suspicious. Uh, but, you know, but that was, you know, going on almost, that was almost two years ago, I think, I feel like that story went down. And now we're seeing kind of a new, uh, new skin, a new um, layer of that onion unpeeling slowly. Mm-hmm. When um, we found uh, it was recently d- discovered that the China was in fact accessing, even though the data has resided on U.S. servers, I think it was. It's is it Oracle? I think they're on Oracle servers. I believe that was the deal they struck. I mean, there, yeah. there was talk. There was talk about Microsoft buying buying well, TikTok, well. Oracle buying TikTok. All these back and forth things went on forever. Well, yeah. yeah, and by the way, you could find out. You can get more of this backstory. Um, we wrote a blog on, uh, we posted it on the bvsystems.com and scottshober.com. Yes. It's all about TikTok um, and this kind of backstory, which leads us up to this current story. Uh, let me see, did I pull up that? No, I did not. Oh, yeah, here we go. Uh, what's it called? Just to give people something to look for. Uh, is TikTok the devil you know or worse? So that kind of, it, t- it kind of takes a different uh, take on the whole TikTok thing. And you'll, you'll, you'll figure that out when we, when we get to it. And I'll, I'll probably pepper this story with some of those ideas, but anyway, yeah. back to, back to the story. Um, uh, China's uh, Chinese TikTok employees apparently were accessing uh, TikTok data. Um, U.S. was not happy about that. So we had a, the F, an FCC commissioner, Brendan Carr. He called out TikTok on Twitter for these kind of collect the collection of keystroke patterns, biometric facial data, voice print data, location data, browser history. Some of this stuff is standard social media collection, data harvesting mm-hmm. that everyone does. Some of it seems to go a little too far and unnecessary. Um, but I guess in the end, you have uh, people are worried that there's just too much uh, too much personal data, too much private data, too many things are being exposed on such a, on a massive social network, which has become, it's kind of graduated into more than just kids lip syncing and dancing, you know, yes, that's true. there's a lot of, there's a lot of political discussion on TikTok Now there's a lot of social discussion, a- economic discussion, mm-hmm. you know, it's not, it's not just, and there's, and there's also how to videos and a lot mm-hmm. of other entertaining and fun things, you know, <clears throat> that YouTube. Yeah. I think you know, also chatting, there's a lot of chatting between people on the platform, which opens the door up for when you, now you're comparing it to maybe uh, what Instagram or WhatsApp or, or things that sort that also have some insecurities, but I guess some of the wow. stuff, the research and things I've talked about with people is that 
from a chatting app perspective and some of the other things that TikTok has, it's actually collecting more data than any other social media platform currently. So that that's really concerning. And it does not have end-to-end encryption for the messaging part, whereas WhatsApp does and a few of these others. So it, it's kind of at the bottom of the barrel when it comes to, is it secure and is it safe? And then I think the kind of the, the thing on top of it, and you kind of alluded to it from the title of the article is, it's owned by a Chinese company. So basically China and the government is monitoring and pulling and collecting all of this uh, data off. And I think that the means they do it, and I think the article touched on it. We talked about it the other day, because I did an interview actually on um, one of the TV channels, t- TV networks, when the story first broke a couple of weeks ago. And it was interesting. And I shared that the user data is being shared by third parties and it's even after the user that signs up for TikTok opts out of the data sharing. So they're basically going in there, setting their privacy settings. So nobody shares any of your personal data that you set up your account with. You've opted out of that. And yet TikTok is ignoring that and they're still sharing it. And those people are buying and selling the information and, and China is using it, this data harvesting for their own purposes uh, that, that that's very concerning. And I think that should tell people you really have to realize what you put on TikTok is not secure and it's out there for the masses to see. Yeah. And um, yeah. And the, to me, that's the biggest no, no, the, the third party stuff, you know, because we've yeah. seen that play out before with Facebook um, and it, it, it doesn't go well. It's a terrible look. No one, it, it, it leads to, uh, lack of trust in your network, lack of trust in, well, the third, the third parties, you don't even know who they are. So you don't even, you don't know who, who not to even trust on that end, but you do know that, you know, this is, a uh, you know, the Chinese communist party essentially controls this company. And regardless where the data resides, doesn't mean anything because you can read and manipulate and share data from anywhere in the mm-hmm. world, regardless of where that data is, if you control the data. And that's that's currently what's still happening. So I think we're going to see a lot more play out on that end. Um, uh, but I guess one of the things, too, that we were kind of alluding to with the blog and the, and the title of that blog is that it's it's becoming more difficult to know who to trust. I mean, on the one hand, you have you have China and they have a lot of reasons to um, steal uh, data from the U.S., to spy on the U.S. and all those things. And, and you know, likewise, we, you know, the U.S. does the same thing. We know that U.S. is spying and doing the same thing. We just don't know the degree of it because we're citizens here in the U.S. And so we don't, you know, they get their propaganda. We get our propaganda, as it were. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's becoming increasingly, you know, um, difficult to, for us citizens to even trust our own government, you know? So, uh, uh, you know, it's at a, I think it might be at an all time low as far as trust in the government. And this goes for, um, both Democrats and Republicans, if you want to break it down by, by party lines. Um, so it's, uh, you know, just imagine a scenario where the U S strips control of TikTok somehow, whether they force a buyout or whatever, but somehow imagine the U S is controlling that data and looking at that data. 
do you, you know, do you really trust them more than China? After all, the US is the only one that can make laws against its own citizens that restrict uh, th all, all types of, uh, you know, things, uh, privacy violations. Mm. And, and, you know, China can't do that. China can just uh, spy on us and uh, use that data to kind of um, indirectly manipulate us, kind of like the way the Russians might have done on, you know, with the Cambridge Analytica. They, you know, manipulate mm -hmm. the 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 um, the elections, but that's a that's an indirect process, you know. It, and, and China can't directly um, manipulate things and and pick pick a winner, as it were. Uh, but in the U.S., I think U.S. You know, we have gerrymandering laws. We have these new kind of uh, um, abortion rights things that people are being, you know, it hasn't it hasn't gone into we haven't seen people get um, uh, prosecuted yet for these things. But it's 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 beginning to, to happen. And that, you know, data, a big pool, a big pool of data that big on TikTok, that's a treasure trove for for uh, prosecutors to go after people and people that are affiliated with with uh, criminals and the meta all the metadata that comes with that. So I don't know. I, I don't. I don't. I'm. I don't trust the U.S. with with personal data. Um, I don't know. What What do you think, Scott? No. Any anymore? I don't trust anybody. I mean, even if you went back a few years to some degree, as you mentioned earlier, Facebook and other other companies you'd say would never sell data or never sell it to third parties, these APIs that would give us to it and so on and so forth. Well, fast forward a couple of years later, and, and that's what all these companies do. And if anything, it's now you don't trust, at least I don't trust Facebook at all or Instagram or any of these other social media giants, uh, certainly not TikTok, um, because you know that they're actively selling and it's there is no privacy. And on top of that, I guess you get into another whole issue about, you know, censorship and when do they step in? When do they pull videos or content? There's a, it's a very fuzzy, um, I guess, line that's been drawn in the sand between all these social media companies when there's kind of overreached by a certain government or entities that say you can or can't do this. And then what they themselves do. So I, I, I kind of, as a blanket statement, I don't trust any of them anymore. And I'm a lot more guarded than I used to be as far as making comments or likes or following certain individuals or posting certain content because things are misconstrued and, and taken out of context. And it's not what you believe in the beginning, even as, as the result of what comes out. So I think this, this is just yet another story kind of reinforcing my, abhorrence for the world of social media even though we're all in it um we have to be a lot more careful yeah that's that's true and we'll um we'll have more i haven't heard of any um you know kind of ramifications from this uh, it's been it's been a little quiet as far as the um you know the fcc commissioner i, I thought we'd see some more um legislative action or talk of that at least uh, since he kind of called out TikTok and there was a little back yeah. and forth scuffle a few weeks ago when that originally came out uh haven't seen anything uh happen but we'll keep you uh we'll keep looking at the story because it's definitely not over TikTok is uh the biggest uh the most downloaded at least uh social 
media network. And, um, you know, they were asked by, I don't know if it was this FCC commissioner specifically, but somebody up in, up in the upper ranks of the government specifically called on Apple and Google to pull TikTok from the app store, which is, you know, that's a huge deal that would, that would crush, that would kill TikTok, at least in, in, you know, in mm-hmm. the U S overnight, if that ever happened. And it would, it would, it would hurt, you know, Apple and Google too, for sure. Um, so I don't think they would cave uh, unless there was some kind of, you know, ultimatum from, from the government. But so yeah. that's why we're going to keep looking at that one and, um, you know, get back to you on that. Uh, let's jump to the next story here. Uh, we've got a new Android malware. It's been downloaded over 3 million times. And, it, and I think a, f- a few of these were are still found on the Google Play Store uh, as of this story's uh, appearance. Um, I found it on uh, uh, bleepingcomputer.com. And mm-hmm. essentially, um, these, were, these were flaws that were in there for, I think, about six months. Uh, they were reported to Google. Uh, Google did nothing about them. And... Uh, did nothing to to patch them or secure them. Only recently, they pulled off a, f- a few of these. A couple of them are still on there, but uh, apparently, this this researcher I uh, don't see the name in the story, but uh, researcher found uh, found these and the, he chose to publish them after this kind of non action. You know, after Google didn't didn't um kind of acknowledge them you know the this is usually we hear about these uh, bounty bugs and and payouts for people finding things um and this this sounds like a legitimate find it sounds it sounds like um one that affected a lot of people and but you know quiet from from google so uh that's a little that's strange because they're pretty aggressive on this stuff you know they have their work cut out for them they've got a lot of yeah a lot of malware, a lot of bugs appearing on the Google Play Store on a regular basis. Um, if anyone's going to be quiet about this stuff, usually you think Apple would be because they're the guys who they play their cards a little closer to the vest. Um, they don't. I think I think a lot of it's for f- the fear of publicizing the fact that they even have any malware. They don't want anyone to even um, it's not talked know. about at all. Yeah. So they so as a result, a lot of times. Uh, these researchers and hackers will come forward and say, hey, I talked to Apple about this a year ago. They did nothing. So now I'm going to publish this, all this, my findings and this data. And then usually the story goes away quickly because Apple gets in touch with them, probably pays them off a bounty of, of something. And, you know, the problem is fixed or at least started to get fixed. But, um, you know, not, not so in, in this case. Um, uh, let's see. I'm just reading through the bullet points here. Sorry, because I'm trying to to catch up on on the the attack. Apparently, it's using a uh, SMS reader permissions. SMS I think it. Reading, yeah. yeah, it it you know they they you know how the standard thing when um, you download a new app, a lot of times they'll ask for your contacts or they'll ask for your location or they'll ask to. Um, get your uh, turn to access your your Bluetooth or Wi-Fi or that those kinds of thing. In this case, it, they asked for um, these these a- apps. Uh, the the malware 
uh, it's actually called it actually has a name called autolycos um it asks for permission for sms text messages um which is strange because i don't even know what app would I wouldn't try, I would never, what, what app would you trust <laughs> that, that needs permission? Like, first of all, why would it need permission for your messages? Unless it's already a dedicated, you know, kind of encrypted messaging app. But even in that case, I wouldn't trust it with my, with access to all my, my SMS messages. Um, yeah. You know, for, but, I and, think that that's, that's part of the problem though. What you just touched on is most users and i talk to a lot of people just your everyday person when they get these pop-ups that come up as they're downloading something for a store from a store on their phone they just click okay 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 except they're not reading anything Mm -hmm. so when when there's things that hey do we have access to your you know permission for sms or this or that sure i guess so okay what is that they don't know the acronyms they don't care and that's i think that's fundamentally part of the problem i I'm still amazed that this many, 3 million times it was downloaded. I mean, that's kind of staggering. I guess the fact that it's in some several popular apps, number one, mm-hmm. that's, that's, that's part of it. Um, and then I started thinking about it. This doesn't really, this is not a, isolated to the U.S. And, and then I started thinking about it after reading the article. And I, I think of the U.S. kind of dominates um, with the iPhone. And, it, and when I looked up stats, it's actually true. Um, within the, 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 the market share, if you compare Android operating systems, let's just generalize it to, to iOS, Apple operating system. Um, in the global market, Android, I should say, has about 72% market share globally. And iOS, mm-hmm. uh, about 27%. When you look just in the US, though, it's, it's just shy of about 60% iOS versus 40% for Android. I think that's interesting. It kind of flip-flops. So, and I think it's it's strictly because of price. Buy a phone with an Android operating system for you know, 30, 40 bucks now on Amazon. It's cheap. Can you buy any version of any iPhone anywhere in the world that cheap? Not even close. Mm-hmm. Even the low-cost ones they sell in China, I think are a few hundred dollars, the low-end ones. So I think that that's a big part of it, just the sheer cost and stuff. But staggering, 3 million people that have downloaded this. And, and now you start to see why there's so many problems in the world of, of smartphones and malware. And, and to some degree, I think, and I don't know what your thoughts are, I think it's going to get worse because more and more, and we, we've talked about this in the past, people are migrating away from a desktop computer. They're migrating away from a laptop and a tablet and trying to do everything on these smartphones. Mm-hmm. So that just means it's a bigger it's a bigger surface area that you can now, in a sense, uh, target and attack just based upon the sheer number of users. And that's interesting um, yeah. how the dynamics are slowly changing. I think this problem is only going to get worse. I, I think in the world of, of Google Android, they got to do a better job vetting this stuff on, on the store or stores like Apple is doing because they are overly paranoid and yet things still get through, but they, they got to do more. Yeah. And it's like you were saying, uh, a lot of it's convenience and, you know, kind of laziness and, and you just say, accept, accept, and, you know, and you're accepting it. Yeah. And this is this we're going to see like, and also, like you said, we're going to see a lot more of this because, you know, I don't know if you've heard about the super app, the concept of the super app, where it's essentially um, combining a few different services into one app. So now you have, for instance, it's a, you know, it's a social media app. That's also a payment app. That's also, Mm -hmm. 
a shopping app, for instance, you know, that kind of thing that exists because of people's need for convenience. They don't want to leave the app. They want to stay in the app and they want to do all, they want a one-stop shopping. They want to do it all. Mm -hmm. And that is, that's the big, that's the larger attack surface you're talking about. That's, you know, you have one malware slips into one of these apps within a super app. Now, suddenly they're all sharing the malware. They're all sharing the same problem. And you've just increased the attack surface, thereby increasing the damage done to, to the users that, that have this. Um, so it's going to be a bigger problem. I think everyone sees that coming. Um, uh, let's hope they, they lock it down and figure out a way to create, I guess, si- silos that mm-hmm. are secure but yet somehow managed to, you know, seamlessly, you know, communicate with each other, um, for the, uh, just backing up for a second, any Android users out there, uh, if you, if you've seen, or you, if you have this on your phone, funny camera or razor keyboard and Mm -hmm. theme, uh, delete those immediately. Um, those are two of the currently still active apps that contain this malware, uh, eight other infected apps they have been removed by google so let's let's hope google removes these these remaining two and you know if you see these apps or if you see them on someone else's phone or someone talks about them yeah just you know send them send them a warning delete them don't look back don't don't even reach out to these developers don't you know there's no you don't need to uh, they're not gonna if they're even legitimate they're not gonna you know, who knows what their association is with this malware, if it got on there accidentally, or they're part of this, uh, these hackers, um, you don't need to know anymore other than the delete button. Yeah. So yeah. You know, know what I'm always thinking not to deviate, but it makes me kind of laugh a little bit. I always wonder, do, do competitive companies, in other words, does Android do they have any coders that actually are creating malware targeting Apple iOS devices? And does Apple have mm-hmm. any coders that are targeting Android OS devices? I, I hope the answer to the, to both of those are is no and no, but it always made me wonder about the same thing with companies that offer antivirus and malware. Mm-hmm. If they have a percentage of employees that are creating malware in the back of the building quietly and releasing it. And their detector happens to be the one that, that you know, detects that mm-hmm. zero day, uh, you know, vulnerability before anybody else on the market. And then suddenly their sales explode because if you look at the sheer numbers, and I did this once, how much money there is in antivirus and anti-malware software and anti-keystroke and this and that there's there, there's billions upon billions of dollars in in software most mostly reoccurring licensing fees monthly fees or yearly fees that are that are being raked in by all of these companies collectively it's a little bit it's a little bit concerning i'm just curious if the world of smartphones if there's any of that strange competition going on yeah well i think i think you're I, I think I half half agree with you. I think I think they definitely are creating these things because it's a it's kind of a form of white hat, you know, hacking in a way, and it's a it's a way to it's a it's a way to exploit other devices. I think when you cross the line is when you distribute it, you know, and that's that's crossing a technical line and a legal line. 
Um, yeah. I think so long as you keep these, you know, kind of like, a, you know, creating, creating new strains of, of virus in, you know, a Wuhan lab in China, for instance, for COVID, <laughs> you know, I mean, those things are all done in order to create future vaccines that can benefit, you know, humankind. Um, it's when they escape the lab is when the, the, the trouble starts. And, you know, whether you believe in, in a, you know, it escaped, something escaped by accident, or it just kind of occurred in nature, or it was, you know, um, uh, planted on purpose in someone to spread it, you know, whether we're talking about a, you know, a biological virus or a computer virus, um, you know, that, that goes down the conspiracy theory rabbit hole. But the, the, the second, I think you step over that line, you cross that line and distribute this, that's when you're, you're causing, you know, that's when you've gone from white hat to black hat, definitely, you know, and you're causing, yeah. you're wreaking <laughs> havoc. And, you know, that would be a huge scandal for, any one of these companies, if it could ever be proven, because not only are you causing a nightmare for users, you're profiting off of that now. And that, that would own the courts would only see billions upon billions of dollars in fines coming from that kind of behavior. So let's, let's hope, let's hope yeah. it's, it's not, <laughs> let's hope it's not happening at all, but I'm sure some of it's going on just, you know, in terms of just, uh, just for academic reasons, we'll say. Um, hopefully they're learning from their mistakes. Um, all right, uh, let's move on to our, our third story. But before we do, just want to remind our listeners that uh, Dark Kryptonite is a sponsor of this episode. And if you've got ransomware, malware, phishing concerns, you want to look into Dark Kryptonite's offerings. Um, this is a service that looks at the dark web. It, it, it eliminates cybercrime. Uh, it, it deals with information warfare. It uses blockchain algorithms, zero trust models, all the buzzwords it's, it's there. It's doing that stuff. You can, excuse me, you can learn more on darkkryptonite.com, kryptonite with a C. Uh, okay. Our, our third story is, uh, ties actually ties in directly to our cyber tip of the week. So we could kind of, I guess, run these two things in, in parallel, uh, but the headline reads, Florida waitress cons 99-year-old for nearly $600,000 to, to spend on vacations. Um, you know, th- this is, uh, it's kind of a, it's kind of a departure from our usual stories. You know, our last story, we, we talked about 3 million downloads. We talked about these big numbers. And this is a, this is a small story in a sense dealing, you know, a local story dealing with just one victim, really. Uh, but it's, but it has, I guess that has big numbers in its own way. I mean, a 99 year old, imagine living that long only to get swindled, conned mm-hmm. out of si- nearly $600,000. Um, you know, this, this poor old woman is probably uh, still collecting, probably living meagerly collecting social security checks. And she, has this nest egg of like, obviously more than $600,000 because the authorities apparently, mm-hmm. you know, caught, caught the uh, perpetrator before she was completely built out of her life savings. Um, 
Uh, let's see, the investigators, a massive fraud scheme in Destin. So it's a Destin, Florida. This was a, this was yeah. a local Florida story. Um, I don't know, what, what were your kind of key takeaway points? Because you, you covered this story um, and added some kind of context to it. What, what did you think? Yeah. Yeah. And it was, it was interesting because I was initially uh, contacted really for, from our book, uh, Senior Cyber, that you and I uh, wrote. I guess they had some interest and they saw that and said, wow, we, you know, Scott, can you weigh in? Because you, you authored a book with Craig on this and, and it touches this exact subject, which was kind of nice. Um, and as I dug in and did the research on the story, I did learn a couple tidbits that I thought was interesting um, in that the woman and she was the waitress that I guess this 99 year old and her husband who, who was passed away a year or two prior, I guess it was two years prior she kind of befriended them, the waitress. So in a sense, it sounded like a, a little bit of, of deceit going on and maybe a little bit of social engineering. And she was comforting her at this, at where she uh, worked at the diner or whatever. And next thing you know, this waitress is running errands for her. So she befriended her and probably said, Hey, I'll pick up your prescriptions. Let me drop some food off. And and they, they became good friends. And so what happens then is naturally there was trust that was built up. And then over an 18-month period, um, wire transfers were being pulled out of this 99-year-old account, um, but they were done in smaller increments uh, be, because there were, um, and I forget the exact number off the top of my but it, but it was a lot of wire transfers, 20 or 30, 40 wire transfers, and they were all smaller. The maximum size of wire transfers was $70,000 that this criminal got away with or alleged criminal, I guess it's still not proven out yet or gone to trial fully, but um, that, that tells you by doing small increments and building trust, she probably did a wire transfer for $500 and said, Ooh, nobody noticed. Let me wait a little. All right, let me try a thousand dollars next week. And then let me try this. And then she had a ruse when she bought and said, well, we were in a joint business venture together. Hmm. And yet when they dug in and started to do the initial, um, you know, investigation, they're like, well, wait a minute, what did you do with the $600,000 over 18 months? And the woman, the, the, the thief went to Disney World, and she bought a new car, and she had all these lavish vacations and expenses, nothing tied to a business, nothing that tied to this 99 year old. And the 99 year old said she never gave her any of the personal information, never gave permission to access her bank account or anything. So you had two very different stories that I guess are being investigated till they come out with inclusion on the whole thing. And the woman was let out on bail, the thief or alleged thief. Um, to me, it sounds very guilty because there was nothing to prove, at least initially, that there really was a joint venture or business dealings that they had together. There was no permission that was stated. And it was ironic. The thief's brother was mm -hmm. the one that I guess tipped law enforcement. He, he somehow came across it and, and an attorney was fired for the, the one that was the alleged thief. So it's a very, it, it makes almost like a soap opera or type of TV show. When you start reading all the, the mm. fine details, he said this, she said this and how it was discovered transfers over, over time. And then they realized that they, they did have a, a friendship or relationship, this older woman and the thief. And, and, and I think that's really the, the heart of the matter is that, it, it taught me and probably others that dug into the story that you really got to be careful who you trust and with what information, 
What we don't know is how did this woman have access to her bank account and how did she get the money out of there? I can speculate. She probably said, oh, let me help you with that. Or, oh, your social security check came in. I'll help you with that and make sure I'll check your bank account each week to make sure it appears so nobody rips you off. So she befriended her, built that trust up. And next thing you know, she's got access to the keys of the king and probably could now start taking money out. And maybe she was clever enough even to go into her bank account, you know, pulled out $3,000. And a lot of these accounts, you can code it with something. Mm-hmm. She could put $3,000 and, you know, Medicare medication expense, or I don't know, something like that, that maybe if a relative went on to check the bank and said, oh, well, oh, that's a, a, an expense toward her medicine. That's okay. Or housing or rent or whatever else. Right. It suddenly fools people. And I think those type of things happened over this 18 month period, because that's a pretty long time to steal that much money. And it totaled over $600,000. That, that, that's a, that's a big, uh, a big heist. Yeah. This is a reoccurring theme uh, that we covered in senior cyber a lot. It, when you befriend someone, when you earn their trust, you have the keys to the kingdom in a sense, because, you know, just imagine how many scenarios, um, she could have gotten her wire transfer, uh, her bank account, um, you know, the, the actual digits, you know, that you have, you have an older woman who maybe has poor eyesight. And this woman said, Oh, uh, where, you know, where are my glasses? Oh, don't worry about your glasses. I'll read the number off, you know, to you like that kind of thing, or I'll fill out this, this paperwork for you, or, you know, you're not so good on the computers. Let me do, let me do this online banking for you because we got to pay this. We're going to need, we're going to need to, you know, withdraw some cash so that you can get your prescriptions and whatnot. Um, so there's, there's just a, an infinite amount of scenarios that she could have, uh, used, uh, to take advantage of this elderly woman. And that was, that's a recurring theme. <clears throat> uh, you know, we, we dealt with this a little bit in our, the first book hacked again, because we had, um, you know, wire transfer, uh, fraud, uh, involving our company, Berkeley Veritronics. And, mm-hmm. you know, that was a red flag because of the amount. Um, I think it, it was a red flag immediately for the authorities. Uh, yes. now this woman, like you said, this woman probably started out small and so no flags were, were sent off, you know, but at some point, it seems like when uh, when a, a criminal has a good thing going, they get cocky and arrogant and they keep up in the ante. And uh, she must have upped the ante to a point where she raised that red flag. And and that's where the authorities started looking into it because she wasn't reported by this 90 year, 99 year old woman. Um, but apparently uh, the suspect's you know brother did see something and reported it. So um you know, there's, I don't know what, what's like a, what's a tip, uh, you, you could give, uh, I mean, you know, besides, you know, you gotta be watchful you can't say trust no one because that's not really <laughs> fair. You can't go through life trusting no one, but you do have to do your kind of common sense due diligence when you do encounter a stranger so that they're not, um, uh, in, uh, they don't have one over on you so that they don't have too much information on you. It's kind of a, you know, it's almost a mutual exchange. I mean, I'm work 
uh, Kelly and I are going through this now a little bit with, um, and I, I talked about this, I mentioned on the last, last podcast, you know, uh, this we're, we're using a few different avenues to sell some items because we're in the process of moving and um, we're finding it's incredible the amount of scam on uh, we're finding on Facebook marketplace. You know, I'm not trying to oh, I'm not yeah. point. I'm not saying Facebook marketplace is the worst. And because I don't I don't have the statistics, but just as just anecdotally, we ta- we're talking to people that use Facebook marketplace and they say, yes, I've had the worst experience on Facebook marketplace with um, scams. And we're actually getting really good at uh, Well, Kelly deals with that stuff mostly. Um, but so she's getting really good at dealing with these scams to the point where now, as soon as they want to leave uh, the kind of safe space of Facebook Messenger as your primary communications method to, you know, to coordinate things, mm-hmm. as soon as they want to leave that and say, oh, give me your phone number. She's like, bye, you're a scammer, you know, and, I, and I'm and I'm, I'm I think I'm more trusting, a little more trusting than her naturally. And I'm saying, well, you know, it's a little more convenient. Maybe they just want to get all you don't need Facebook essentially you you just want to um you know you want to coordinate with them because you're they're trying to come and pick up furniture and you're trying to figure out what payment method you're going to use and all those things and and so i'm like you know it's natural and she's like you know what i've seen too many of these already uh uh, too many people that turn something that says now that i've got your number I'm going to give you a call or not a call. They usually don't call, but they'll, um, they'll text, you know, text messages. They like, they like to hide behind that. And in the text Mm -hmm. now she's getting all the people over text are saying like, uh, you know, how come you call me a scammer? All I wanted was, all I wanted was to make a deal and say that I'll do, you know, I'll pay for the, uh, I'll pay for this. If you pay for shipping first, then I'll pay for Mm -hmm. the the item, you know, and, and that stuff, that stuff is instantly suspicious. And even I, you know, I, I trust, I, I'm more trusting, but even I know that that's ridiculous and, and that's leading directly into a scam. Um, so it's, it's really interesting. Um, the kind of, you know, anecdotal sort of research we're doing and we're getting, and this is, you know, very small scale stuff, but we're quickly learning how to um, trust a stranger and how not to. We had a, we had a woman just the other day, she used, uh, she used a Facebook marketplace and wanted to buy a kind of small, like a a futon couch from us. And she Mm -hmm. was very, she was very weird in, in that she's like, oh, I'm, I'm from out of town and I just rented a U-Haul. And she just had like, she was bothering Kelly a lot with a lot of questions and where are you located? <laughs> and, and she kept asking, repeating the same questions and, and it, it was never ending. And Kelly's like, you know what? I'm going to hand you off to my husband. He's going to deal with you. And she gave me the whole lowdown and said, I don't trust this woman, but if you're willing to kind of vet her through these kind of exchanges and messages, then you do it and you deal with her. And she started to annoy me, but I, but I said, you know, let me, let me see how this plays out. And of course I didn't, I didn't give her any real information. All I, I did give her her address because she would have to come to physically pick up our futon. That was part of the deal. And so we went, you know, we went through all of these exchanges and in the end she was legitimate. She came, she showed up with a U-Haul later than she said she would, but she showed up. She was like, Oh, I'm from out of town and I'm lost. And I'm in the, I'm a New Yorker like you guys. Hey, and all this stuff. 
Oh we, I helped her move the futon into the U-Haul uh, right there on the spot. She paid uh, using, I think, uh, Venmo. She Venmoed Kelly. Kelly came out, verified that the payment went through. So, you know, everything was cool. We, we, we kind of did like kind of a, you know, almost a real-time validity check on her. Um, and it all worked out. But it just goes to show you that if you don't trust anyone, you're never going to, nothing's ever going to, you're never going to communicate with anyone. You're nothing's ever going to get accomplished. And, you know, on the other extreme, if, if you're overly trusting and very trusting, especially to strangers, you're going to get taken probably multiple times in your life. And you might get taken for your entire life savings if you meet the, that wrong person. Sheesh, that's scary. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I was also thinking about when we were talking about the story before, kind of what what leads somebody from doubting or the trust factor or things like that. And a lot of things with wire transfer fraud has to do with the sheer dollar amount. In other words, when they, they measure the rating, typically over $10,000, if there's an international wire transfer, it's automatically reported. But even domestically, I don't think a lot of people realize that if um, you even make a check over $10,000, it's supposed to be reported to the IRS. If you're doing wire transfers over $10,000, supposed to be reported to the IRS. And, and there's even smaller services now that are popping up. I think Zelle and WeTransfer and others that are often used for, for smaller transactions where you don't want to pay. Some, some wire transfer fees might be $20, $30. Some are as high as two, $300, depending upon the amount. So there's these other new startup services that are getting very popular with very low fees or percentage of fees that are more like credit card transactions or even less. And some are fee free for a very small amount of money. And, and I guess the hopes that you start liking the service and moving money around to pay friends or buy things, this and that. And next thing you know, um, they're making their fees because just of the, the use model that, that you're sending more and more dollars but I think those things are red flags to the IRS, to law enforcement, tanks and others when big dollars are going out. And I'm not saying that to encourage cyber criminals that are listening to this episode to say, oh, OK, so if I'm going to you know, scam somebody, I'm going to break it up into small transactions. But in reality, that's what they do. And the same thing true. We, mm -hmm. We've talked about credit cards before. They test an account with a 99 cent trans transaction fee or something if it's a stolen credit card and they'll put it together and, and give some free free cards out there on the dark web maybe they're selling a list of ten thousand cards and they charge you know three bucks a card or something like that they'll give away 50 or something so you could try them if they work you, you know the bad guy tries them and says this is great it's a legitimate list let me pay top dollar for it so a lot of that type of stuff goes on i think um and i think when you see high transactions those are all red flags. So I wasn't surprised when I heard that it was like over X number of transactions before this person finally got caught after 18 months. Um, mm -hmm. It's just something to, to think about, I guess. And to be, I, I guess the, it ties in nicely. I think you've kind of alluded to it in the beginning. What are some things we could do to keep our personal data private, our financial data private? Um, one thing is make sure that you check it regularly. <laughs> you, you hear about, if you have a 401k account, especially with the volatile markets and stuff, just don't look at the statement. Well, looking at statements on a regular basis is good because you can look for anomalies quickly. 
if you check your, your credit card statement or your online banking, if you check in once a week, it's far better than checking in once a month or once every few months, because you're going to see that anomaly where a transaction happened and you're like, wait a minute, I didn't do that. Or, oh, my, my, my spouse didn't do that or, or whatever, whoever else is linked to the account. You want those red flags to go up and question things, just validate and say, okay, all these transactions are legitimate because time is of the essence. Once a wire transfer is done, once a credit card is compromised, you only have so many days to actually report the fraud or potential fraud. So if you wait a week, a month, a couple months, the damage may be done. And guess what? You may not get your money back. Or if you do, it's going to cost you a lot of money and go through a lot of rape. So mm-hmm. with scams like this, it's really hard, especially in this case, it was a 99-year-old woman. I mean, she here she is living in a senior home and got fixed expenses and, and other things. Her mind is probably not focused on, let me check my checking account and savings account balance every day to see if there's fraudulent activity. Her, her, her thoughts are focused on maybe her health or other things like that or her family. So um, cyber criminals take advantage of that. And I think we talk a lot about that in senior cyber sharing tips throughout the book there that hopefully people, especially those dear older uh, elderly ones can appreciate and actually apply so they don't live in fear of the, these crazy scammers that are out there. Absolutely. Um, yeah, another off, off top of my head, you know, another thing I could think of is, um, you know, the sharing of personal data, private data on social networks is, uh, yeah. you know, a huge, um, it's a very easy way for uh, hackers and scammers to, uh, take advantage of that data. Now we don't know the the specifics of how these how this uh, you know alleged scammer and this ninety nine year old woman met. I suspect they didn't meet on social media. So no. she, I think it was at the diner just because she was a waitress there. That's that's the sense probably. I got, yeah. but there may be more backstory to it in person. So in a way, yeah. she was an advanced scammer because she used kind of one on one social mm-hmm. engineering techniques you know she probably charmed this old woman or told yeah. her stories and said oh you remind me of my grandmother whatever <laughs> yeah. you know th- those t- those type of things you know those things i hate to stereotype but those things tend to work better on elderly i think um yes. whereas on the other hand you you got um you know kids on tiktok and uh snapchat and uh you know a non-personal, a, uh, a, a text message from some random person that you might be connected with on a social network, but you've, you never met and you never had have any intention okay. of meeting. Total them. disconnect. Yeah. Those, those kids might be more trusting of that even, which is even stranger to someone like me and, and you, you know, mm-hmm. we're kind of in that middle yeah. generation we're where we're not sure what to trust, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so you got to watch out what you share and who you share it with, because um, scammers are gonna uh, take ad- advantage of every possible outlet, and you know social media is a big a biggie. Yeah, yeah, and I think I, I guess with social media, it is it's a it typically a younger generation. I don't I envision, and I I, I could be wrong, but this ninety nine year old probably doesn't have a TikTok account or. Twitter or, or Instagram or anything like that. Unlikely. There are some, but probably unlikely. So the fact that this, this, this 
criminal, this waitress, she, she used, you know, the fact that they came in to eat every, every week or something like that. And maybe she tried to lure her, lure them in a little bit and saying, Hey, how you doing again? And, uh, Hey, let me give you an extra slice of pie here and let me give you an extra cup of coffee. It's on the house or who knows what she did to kind of befriend them before you know it they're helping one another. And next thing you know, they know about one another's personal lives. And maybe this 99 year old needed help with medication. And then maybe she came in distraught when her husband passed and, and, and suddenly she did this, this criminal became a, a, somebody that provided her comfort emotionally friendship. And then she moved in to start scamming and, and taking away her money through these uh, various wire transfer uh, schemes. Yeah. So yeah. as far as, uh, yeah, an actionable tip, I would say this, and this is no silver bullet, but if you have someone anonymously contacting you through a messaging platform or through text message, I say, call them out and say, Hey, let's do, Hey, let's, let's hash out details over the phone because nine times out of 10, that's going to scare off most scammers. I think, you know, yeah, sure. there are still scams out there that anticipate that move and they want you to talk to them because that's a different level of scam. But just to kind of filter out a lot of the uh, anonymous, faceless scammers out there, voice, you know, voiceless scammers, mm -hmm. I would say, call them out and say, you know, I'm going to need some, I, I want to hear your voice. I want to talk to you about this because this is something, or we should meet in person, you know, obviously in a you know public mm -hmm. space or a safe place. You want to do that. Of course. Uh, I'm not saying, I'm not saying you want to meet them at their home because <laughs> you never know. Mm -hmm. um, so you want to call their bluff in a sense. And I think that that can help uh, filter out a lot of uh, these nefarious characters. Yeah. No, I, I think that there's truth to that. It makes, makes total sense. Yeah. Good story. And it was certainly an interesting, slightly different spin on the traditional story and I really appreciated the fact this was somebody elderly here and, and the ability to at least share some tips from, from the, all the research we did with uh, cybersecurity, which is uh, wonderful to see. Yeah. And I'm going to, uh, obviously we're going to share all the links, the link, the uh, news nation interview you did, uh, all the links to the stories are in the show notes. Um, so let's, uh, let's close out this episode, but before we do just want to one last time remind our listeners that Dark Kryptonite is a sponsor and Dark Kryptonite stops ransomware, malware, and phishing in their tracks, eliminating cybercrime fraud and information warfare using uh, advanced blockchain algorithms, zero trust models. Learn more on darkkryptonite.com, kryptonite spelled with a C. Um, before we go, you got any, you got anything coming up? Are you doing, oh, you're, you're, uh, I believe you're, you're going to be attending Black Hat, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of excited about that. That's coming up soon. I have a little, uh, little vacation coming up and uh, starting next week just with family. But then after that, I'm going to be uh, heading out beginning of, of uh, what is it? Uh, August. I'll be in, uh, uh, what is it? Uh, the 10th, 11th and 12th. It's actually Black Hat in Vegas. That's followed by DEFCON. So I'll be at both of those shows. And uh, I'm honored again to meet up with the team at Cybercrime Magazine. And I'll be doing a lot of uh, high-level executive interviews at the Secure Works booth. So if you are out at Black Hat or your DEFCON, please certainly uh, stop by Secure Works booth there and get to, to, to meet them and learn some of the great stuff that Secure Works is doing and the team at Cybercrime Magazine. 
and uh, it'll be an exciting show. I've been here a couple times now, and it's always always a uh, always exciting stuff, and you learn a lot of black hat. So uh, encourage people if you're in Vegas, then in the beginning of August, come on by or reach out to me or DM me or shoot me a uh, an email, whatever, and let's uh, connect up there and uh, get to get to get to know one of a little bit better and some of the great stuff that you're involved in. Great. Um, yeah. So listeners, if you want to match a voice to a face, you want to, you know, shake Scott's hand. Uh, yeah, definitely, definitely check them out. <clears throat> and we'll be, we'll be talking about all those interviews and your experiences at those conferences in upcoming episodes, of course. Uh, let me read us out here. Um, this podcast is available on YouTube, Spotify, Google, iHeart, Apple, Amazon, and more. If you'd like to hear, uh, please, if you like what you hear, please subscribe and review our pet podcast. We, we need your reviews. So, uh, give us three stars, give hopefully give us five stars. Um, uh, questions and comments, DM us on, DM us on Twitter at Scott BVS or visit scottschober.com. You can also visit bvsystems.com. Uh, you can leave messages there too, of course. Uh, for more information. And if you, if we read your comment or question on the podcast, we'll send you a signed copy of uh, one of our books. Uh, so, and then those books are Hacked Again, uh, Cybersecurity is Everybody's Business, and Senior Cyber. Um, thanks for listening. Tune in next week for more stories, more cybersecurity news, and uh, signing out from the West Coast, um, Craig Schober. All right. Thanks again, Craig. Nice chatting with you and signing out from the East Coast. This is uh, Scott Schober and everybody out there have a have a good one and please stay safe.